0: In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're talking about a central figure in the fight for racial upliftment and equality in 20th century America, a controversial and consequential activist by the name of W.E.B. Du Bois. The day was February 23rd, 1868. Author and civil rights advocate W. E. B. Du Bois was born. He went on to become one of the most influential black civil rights leaders of the 20th century. In addition to his work advocating for racial justice and an end to segregation, Du Bois penned several pioneering essays on race studies and is considered to be one of the founders of modern sociology. William Edward Burghard Du Bois was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, to parents Alfred and Mary Sylvina. They were one of the few black families in the mostly white town, but as New England residents, they were shielded from the harsher forms of racial prejudice that still raged in the southern states. William's father walked out on the family in 1870, leaving his wife, Mary, to raise the boy on her own. She and her son eventually moved into her parents' house, and she took a job as a housekeeper to make ends meet. As a teen, W.E.B. Du Bois became the first African-American to attend the prestigious Great Barrington High School. Throughout his time there, he was often the only person of color in his classes, a fact that did not go ignored by some of his more cruel-minded classmates. Thankfully, his white teachers recognized his intelligence and drive, and made sure he received the same academic opportunities as everyone else. It was also in high school that Du Bois began to focus on what would become his life's great passion, the fight against racial inequality and the social advancement of black Americans. At age 15, he started writing editorials for the New York Globe, making him the nation's youngest black journalist. His articles challenged racist conventions in American society while also highlighting the accomplishments and contributions of black citizens. Du Bois graduated at the top of his class in 1884, the same year that his mother passed away from tuberculosis. The 16-year-old was alone and penniless, but members of his community came to his aid. They helped secure him a scholarship to Fisk University, a liberal arts college in Nashville, Tennessee. Du Bois spent three years at Fisk University, where he studied sociology, economics, and history, eventually graduating with a Bachelor of the Arts degree. During his time there, Du Bois was exposed to the realities of racism and poverty on a level he had never experienced in western Massachusetts. He encountered Jim Crow laws for the first time and began leading protests against the school's segregationist policies. After graduating from Fisk in 1888, Du Bois received a scholarship to attend Harvard University. He went on to earn his master's degree from Harvard's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, and then followed it up by becoming the first black American to earn a doctorate from Harvard. Despite his academic achievements, however, Du Bois had a hard time securing a job at a major university. Instead, he accepted a position at Wilberforce University a historically black college in Ohio. He then spent a year teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, where he also wrote his first major work, 1899's The Philadelphia Negro. That investigative study focused on the city's 7th Ward neighborhood and was the first sociological case study of a black community. When the study was complete, Du Bois became a professor at Atlanta University, where he remained for the next 13 years. During that time, he rose to national prominence with the publication of his seminal work, The Souls of Black Folk, in 1903. In that collection of essays, Du Bois explored the idea that the, quote, central problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. He went on to argue that white Americans should take responsibility for their contributions to racial inequality, and that black Americans shouldn't settle for half-measures. In one especially controversial essay, Du Bois took aim at Booker T. Washington, the founder of the Tuskegee Institute, which taught agricultural skills to black men. Washington had asserted that vocational training, like the kind his school provided, was of greater value to black Americans than social privileges, such as attending college or holding public office. Du Bois criticized that stance, insisting that nothing short of full equality for African Americans should be accepted, as he famously put it, "...education must not simply teach work, it must teach life." In The Souls of Black Folk, Du Bois also outlined his idea of double consciousness, a state of being experienced by persecuted groups in which one's sense of identity is divided. Du Bois applied the concept to the experience of black Americans, writing, "...it is a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness," This sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity. One ever feels his two-ness, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. After publishing The Souls of Black Folk, Du Bois became one of the most prominent African-American activists of his time. He continued to write and speak about racial injustice, establishing himself as an early leader in the fight for civil rights. In July of 1905, he co-founded the Niagara Movement with William Monroe Trotter. Four years later, that organization was dismantled and rebuilt into the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Du Bois and several other members of the Niagara Movement helped establish the new group alongside white allies, such as journalist Mary White Ovington and constitutional lawyer Moorefield Story. Much like its forerunner, the NAACP was created to fight racial discrimination, both on the local and national fronts. From 1910 to 1934, W.E.B. Du Bois, edited the association's monthly journal, The Crisis. He used his position as editor to shine a spotlight on the still widespread practice of lynching and to advocate for national legislation to outlaw the brutal practice. Under Du Bois' guidance, The Crisis's readership grew to 100,000, and the NAACP came to be regarded as the leading protest organization for black rights. During his tenure as editor, Du Bois also stood up for young black student protesters who were widely condemned for being too disruptive. In the 1920s, Du Bois pushed against that narrative, saying, quote, Here again, we are always actually or potentially saying hush to children and students. We are putting on the soft pedal. We are teaching them subterfuge and compromise. We are leading them around to back doors for fear that they shall express themselves. And yet, whenever and wherever we do this, we are wrong. Absolutely and eternally wrong. Unless we are willing to train our children to be cowards, to run like dogs when they are kicked, to whine and lick the hand that slaps them, we have got to teach them self-realization and self-expression. Du Bois eventually resigned his post at the crisis due to ideological differences but he would return to the NAACP ten years later to serve as its Director of Special Research. In that role, which he held for four years, Du Bois attended the United Nations Founding Conference in 1945. During his time as a delegate, he lobbied the UN to acknowledge the suffering of black Americans and to help put an end to colonialism in Africa. Du Bois had long been a vocal proponent of pan-Africanism, a movement to build solidarity among Africans and people of African descent throughout the world. He was a key figure in organizing several pan-African conferences where leaders from Africa and the Americas assembled to discuss racism and oppression, issues with which they were all familiar. Shortly before his work at the UN, the FBI started a file on Du Bois. He was a self-professed socialist and had written extensively in favor of unionized labor. In the 1950s, at the height of the Second Red Scare, Du Bois came under fire for his involvement with an anti-nuclear warfare group called the Peace Information Center. He and four others were charged with failing to register the organization with the U.S. government, a highly suspicious oversight in the era of McCarthyism. The judge later dismissed the case, but the damage to Du Bois' reputation was already done. Many of his former colleagues, including those at the NAACP, avoided contact with him and never offered a word in his defense. Adding insult to injury, the US government then revoked Du Bois's passport as a precautionary measure, preventing him from leaving the country for eight years. By the time he was allowed to travel again, Du Bois was 93 years old, but he didn't let age slow him down. In 1961, he moved to Ghana and began working on an encyclopedia of the African diaspora. His health declined over the next two years there, but in 1963, the U.S. refused to renew his passport, preventing his return. As a symbolic protest, Du Bois became a citizen of Ghana, though he never renounced his American citizenship. That year, Du Bois celebrated his 95th birthday with Ghana's royal family and when he died six months later, on August 27th, 1963, he was honored with a state funeral in the capital city of Accra. The very next day, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his landmark I Have a Dream speech at the March on Washington. Du Bois had died far from his native country, shunned by the government he had sought so long to improve, but the work he began and the fight for equality that he championed lived on. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can send your feedback directly to me by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.